are the words of Jesus from the New Testament. And as we close it out today, we're headed to John chapter 21. Yeah, so if you want to head that directions, uh, that direction in your Bibles, your Bible apps. And as Pastor Cole mentioned, I hope you can be a part of the Centennial Baptist School uh, Gala and Auction coming up on April 5th. There'll be folks in the lobby if you need help to buy tickets for that. It's going to be an incredible dinner along with some great fun uh, during the auction. And Centennial Baptist School is a weekday ministry of this local church. And it's always great uh, when our folks help to support what they're doing. Hopefully you've made it to John chapter 21. And we're going to read a good portion of the chapter as we get started here this morning. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter said unto them, I go fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then saith Jesus unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John, saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked. That's how they say it in the South. He was naked. Did anybody ever hear your mom ever say it to you that way? Son, you naked as a, you, you naked as a jaybird. Yeah, that's one of the things they said too. He, he got his coat on and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were, 200 cubits. So that's about 300 feet. Uh, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which you've now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty-three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and get her, fellas. Uh, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee, Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. 
Now, I have a hunch that most of us in this room today, and probably all of us in this room, in fact, I know it's certain all of us in this room, are human, frail creatures. And because we're human, frail creatures, and because we've all made mistakes, because we're imperfect like Peter, the message of renewal that Jesus gave to his discouraged disciple is a powerful one that we can and should absorb. And as we walk through the passage today, you're going to see the incredible love that Jesus has for his servants. But first, I want to talk about the backstory of this. And so if you're in your notes in your bulletin there, this is the first part we're talking about, the backstory. Uh, Jesus, we see this first, Jesus directs and dedicates Peter for discipleship. If you go back to John chapter 1, and we're going to turn to a few places just during this backstory section. Uh, in John chapter 1, Jesus was calling his disciples, and actually this guy named Andrew, uh, who was a disciple of John the Baptist, uh, he went and started following Jesus. And we see a kind of a backstory on Peter as well. So John 1, verse number 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Uh, how many of you, when you were growing up, people never knew you by your name. They always knew you by your brother or sister's name, right? It's like, that's Brent's sister. Was it Brent's sister? Or Brent, Jonathan, Greg. It could have been any of them, right? Um, this is so-and-so's dad, so-and-so's, they, they never called you by your name. It's like your brother or your sister was the famous one, the Broadway star, right? Your, your sister was on American Idol, and now because she was on American Idol, nobody's ever called you by your name, all right? They just call you Chelsea's sister, right, or, or whatever. So that's what was happening here. Uh, so first, uh, he gets his own brother, Simon Peter, and uh, that's going to be now uh, this calling that Jesus gives. Uh, he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah. And that was a big deal, which is being interpreted to Christ. Here's how big of a deal it was that they had found the Messiah. They'd been looking for him for a thousand years. That's a pretty big deal, right? Remember when you lost your cell phone? And you looked for it for like five minutes, and you thought the end of the world had come. How many of you teenagers are with me? Right? Or better yet, your mom or dad brutally took away your cell phone at 10 o'clock at night and made you go plug it in so you could actually sleep for a change. Uh, sorry, I got far afield from the message here today. I apologize. They found the Messiah. Right? Uh, verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. He said, Your name's Simon, your dad's name is John. But then he said, Thou shalt be called Cephas, which by interpretation, a stone. So, have you ever met somebody for the first time, right? This is crazy. Like, uh, hey there, uh, I'm Tony, what's your name? Oh. Ro, okay, I'm going to call you Bob. Okay. <laughs> right? Have you ever done this to anybody? Like, uh, hey, what's your name? Chelsea. Okay, I'm going to call you Chelsea. Okay. Um, so that, that's what Jesus did, right? He meets the guy for the first time. 
he says, okay, uh, your name's Simon, your dad's name's John, I'm going to call you Peter. <laughs> right? It's crazy stuff. So Jesus calls him and dedicates him. He says, you're going to be one of my apostles. You're going to be one of my disciples. Now, I want you to go back to Matthew 16. Because in Matthew 16, uh, Peter makes this declaration. And if you know anything in the Bible about Peter, you know that he was kind of this brash, uh, fisherman type. He always kind of spoke out of turn. If anybody was going to say something really off color or off record, it was going to be Peter. Right? Kind of like your Uncle Larry does at Thanksgiving every year. You know that at the Thanksgiving dinner table, he's going to say something where you have to tell the kids, kids, don't listen to what he just said. Right? How many have that uncle, but his name's not Larry? Okay. All right. Just make up a name for him. So, uh, so here's what happened. They're, they're at the coast of Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus is with his disciples, and, and this is up in northern Israel. There's this huge rock wall, and Jesus is standing in front of the rock wall, and he says to the disciples, uh, hey guys, uh, what's everybody saying out there? You know, what do they think of me? Kind of, what's going on? And so it's kind of like an Instagram thing. And uh, so Jesus uh, is asking them, and they said, well, uh, some people say that you're like Elijah. And uh, some people say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're a prophet. And he said, okay, well, what do you guys say? And look what Peter said. This is crazy. Verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter makes a declaration that becomes the cornerstone of the entire church movement. Now, we don't have time to get into that this morning, but we can read verse 17. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, now look what he called him, Simon Barjona, Simon son of John. Oh, but I thought Jesus changed his name. Here's what's interesting. When Peter was apostolic, when he lived in the spirit, Jesus called him Peter. But when he was just a fleshly dude, fisherman, Jesus called him Simon son of John. And he says to him here, Simon Sign of John, uh, blessed art thou, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, this sounds really good, but basically what Jesus is saying to him is, Simon, you're not smart enough to figure that out on your own. Has anybody ever said that to you? It's kind of demeaning, right? Good answer, son, but you're not smart enough to figure that on your own. Who told you that? Like when your five-year-old says resuscitation or something. <laughs> like, where in the world? What, YouTube kids? Is it, I mean, are they doing CPR or what? But uh, So there's this divine revelation that's taken place. Now let's look at this next part of the backstory because uh, as time went on, and Peter had been a disciple now for three years, and Jesus tells his disciples some news that is pretty distressing uh, in Matthew 26. He has just told them that he's going to go and be taken as a prisoner and die for the sins of the nation. Yeah, but he said this in verse 33. Uh, he had just told them, uh, I'm going to 
die, I'm going to rise again. Verse 33, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. And so Peter disregards the warning of Jesus. Peter, uh, he takes Jesus' warning. He's like, Jesus, you don't have to say that to me. I am the elite apostle. I will never fail you. I'm not going to mess up. I'm not going to deny you. I got your back the whole way. Luke 22. Let's go to there. Rest of the back story here. Luke 22. And you guys, I think, probably know what's coming. Because you probably have made a brag before that you couldn't keep. One time we were in, uh, Amy earned a trip to Hawaii, and we, were, we uh, went up Diamond Head, uh, which is kind of the highest point uh, down at the bottom of Oahu. And it looks massive, but it's only like 1,000 feet tall. And we were like walking up, and we'd been going at it for like 30 minutes. And I was only, I think I was like 30 years old, just a long time ago. And, and uh, I'm walking up, it's like 2001 or something. And we're going up the mountain. And all of a sudden, these guys who are like 70 just pass us. <laughs> right? I'm like, what in the, what are they doing? They're used to sea level, I guess. And, and so they go, and so then we're coming back down. Well, I'm kind of offended that these old guys just passed me, right? So on the way back down, I'm like, I got this. And, uh, and so we're coming back down, and we're headed back out to the parking lot. We're almost to the bottom of the mountain. And uh, there's a bollard that's about like this high. And uh, most of you know that I'm a pretty tall guy, and so this shouldn't have been a problem for me. Like, I got this. I'm going to jump over that. And Amy's like, I don't think you should do that. And our friends that were with us like, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. Like, I got this. And so I take off running to this bollard, and I jump, and I got, like, caught. Like, I got caught, and then my body, like, just went, woo, like, face first. And I hop back up, are you okay? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. It's kind of like what Peter did, right? It's like, I got this, I'm never going to get offended by you. Well, here he is, warming himself by the fire, Luke 22, verse 60. And Peter said, so this is his third denial of Jesus, man, I know not what thou sayest, and immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. So Jesus uh, just been denied three times by Peter. Now look at verse 61. And if you're a parent or if you're a grandparent, uh, this is going to ring so true with you. And the Lord turned. Jesus is in the judgment hall. He hears the rooster crow. He knows what Peter's just done. And he turns and looks at him. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter was so heartbroken that he had disappointed Jesus. Now, I know some of your parents are like, 
I've looked at my kids lots of times, and they've never been disappointed that they disappointed me. <laughs> right? but, but think about this. If, if you're a parent, you love your kid, and you've warned your kid, and you don't want your kid to mess up, and when your kid does mess up, you don't really feel like saying, see, I told you so. You feel like, I still love you. And I still am for you. And I still want you to succeed. And so Jesus looked at him. And this was a look of love. Even though Jesus is disappointed, he's like, I, I still love you. This is not the end of your story. And that's what this whole message is about. This is not the end of your story. Yesterday, uh, many of you know our son Cody and his wife Michaela. And Cody was over helping cut some uh, stuff with a chainsaw on the back of our property. And and we had a teenage boy from church helping. And, and Cody uh, started a little fire. We're burning some old limbs down there. And he got a little bored. And he's somewhat of a pyromaniac. Uh, well, actually, he's a lot of a pyromaniac. And uh, he's actually just really a huge pyromaniac. And so he takes the gas can from the chainsaw. He's like, uh, this fire is just not going. And so he starts going like this. I'm like, what are you doing? You don't. First of all, that's not how you get a fire going ever, right? And I'm my dad voice, and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep working. You do what you do. So he's like doing this. Well, then he decides, you know what? This isn't enough. And so he decides, I'm going to pour the gas. And I've been telling him, like this whole time, you better watch it. It's going to bite. It's not good what you're doing. You better grow a brain, you know. And... <laughs> And so he starts to pour. Well, what he doesn't understand about chemicals and combustion totally came back to bite him because the fire tried to go and meet the gasoline. And so the fire came up to the spout of the gas can and he threw the gas can <laughs> like a Molotov cocktail in the backyard. My brainiac son. Now, I looked on him, of course, with the love of Jesus. <laughs> that look of disappointed love. And I said, you are an idiot. <laughs> and then the whole hill was on fire, and we stood out there for like an hour, you know, spraying it down. Um, but maybe you've had one of those look things that Jesus gave to Peter. And so uh, Peter's now... He's in the depths of despair. He knows he's failed. He decides to head back out to the lake. The disciple thing isn't working out for him. He's messed up. He's not worthy to serve Jesus anymore. And even though he's seen the empty tomb and the risen Christ, he's not sure he still wants to be a Jesus follower. Not because of Jesus, but because he doesn't think he have, has what it takes. And so he takes out his phone and does a group text with Tom and Nate and Jimmy and John and a couple of others. He's like, hey guys, uh, I'm going fishing. Anybody in? And all of a sudden the group text, by the way, I hate group text, but they start coming back in. They're like, oh, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Okay, meet me at the lake. So they go out to the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. It's a freshwater lake in Israel. And Peter and his pals, they get the boat. Yeah, they get in the water, and I don't know if I mentioned this, but they are professional fishermen, right? That's what they did before they met Jesus. And so these professional fishermen fished all night long and caught nothing. 
Not one thing. Now, this is the primary reason why I am not a fisherman. There is nothing worse than standing on the shore, sitting in a boat with a pole, and no fish cooperation. Right? Now, some of you, you're like, you love fishing, whether there's fish or not, whether the fish ever come and, and take your bait or the bobber ever goes down. You just like to sit out there just to be away from people and whatever. But the rest of us who are normal, <laughs> we like to see the bobber go down. Like we actually feel like maybe there should be a point to this thing. And, and so they fished all night. They caught nothing. So that's the backstory. Now let's talk about the big catch because uh, as they're doing all that, these professional fishermen managed to catch zero fish in this all-night outing. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, uh, I think, wanted them to really feel like they'd lost their fishing touch. They fished all night. The dawn breaks, and they look toward the shore, and they see this familiar silhouette on the shoreline. This silhouette, and, and we have silhouettes in our society, right? Some of you probably at your house or maybe your dad in his garage had a silhouette of the Duke, John Wayne. His side profile as he stood like this, and I look just pretty much like him. So I'm like a smidgen shorter, and I don't have a cowboy hat on, but you can picture the silhouette. And, uh, or maybe you, this is the silhouette of Michael Jordan going up and hanging in the air, which I... Pretty much got that one too, right? Um, or Jerry West, the NBA logo, as he's standing there with the ball, or, or whatever it is. Silhouettes we recognize. Like, we see side profiles and we know who it is. And they see this silhouette and they're like, whoa, this is somebody we know, I think. And the, the man calls out to him. He's like, hey, uh, you guys catch anything, fellas? And they're like, no. He already knew that, <laughs> by the way. Uh, he knows exactly what's going on during your discouragement, too. And, and so Jesus calls out to them, uh, Hey, try the other side of the boat. And uh, the first thing they think is, Okay, we're professional fishermen, right? Uh, but one time a guy told us to do this, and it actually worked out really well for us. And so we'll try it again. And so they throw their net on the other side, and as soon as the net hits the water, the fish hit their net like torpedoes from a destroyer. And the net is so heavy that they can't even move in the boat. And the miracle is not lost on John, who immediately figures out the man on the shore has to be Jesus. And so he tells everybody else about, oh, you know what, that's got to be Jesus, because there's no way. And, and Peter, well, Peter wasn't just discouraged, we read about, he was naked. So he throws on his clothes, he jumps into the lake to swim to shore. You could almost call, call the guy impulsive. The other guys are trying to drag the net full of fish behind their little boat. And finally, uh, they get the net to land, and they, they had dragged in, and this is pretty precise, by the way, they had dragged in 153 fishes. Does that seem a little precise? Right? Have you ever been fishing and you're like, okay, I think we caught eight or ten fish. Now, a true fisherman would know you caught seven. Right? But what do, uh, when fishermen, sport fishermen go out, if they caught six fish, 
they're not counting the six. What are they looking for? The biggest one to take a selfie with. Right? They're hanging it here. They got the phone here. And uh, that's what that's all about. So Jesus, though, this is precise. We know it's the word of God because he tells us there were 153 fishes. And obviously there was some supernatural involvement taking place here. And so here these guys are. They have sat in a little boat all night. Now, when you think of a little boat, you're like, okay, like a four-man rowboat? You're like, yeah, one of our four-man rowboats with seven guys in it. Big, fisherman, burly-type guys who have sat all night, okay? And uh, they're probably, you know, not smelling very good, uh, probably not feeling very good, because when you sit that long with your knees bent, man, so they're like staggering up to the shore, and all of a sudden, they catch a whiff of breakfast, right? And there's nothing like that, really. You fished all night long, and all of a sudden, you drive up to the diner. And you can smell the sausage coming through the pipe of the building. And your body just, like, turns to jello. You're like, oh, i got to have food, right? Load me up with the all-you-can-eat pancakes, Bob. And, and so... Uh, here they are there all night, and, and then Jesus says, hey, I got a meal for you. Come and dine. And he didn't have to ask twice. And they go, and uh, then we want to talk about this in the third section, the bread and fish. Now, now, we don't have to get too deep into this because it's understandable that one of the most powerful connection tools for human beings is having meals together. Jesus had experienced many, many meals with these men. And relationships had been built during this time. And by the way, it's important to have family meals together on a regular basis, like every week. When your kids get to be, it becomes harder to do it, but you need to make the effort. It is invaluable to sit around the table together and to ask questions and to process information it may well be the most important part of raising quality kids, along with a family Bible time. But the disciples uh, had experienced moments at these meals that would stay with them for a lifetime. And at this meal, this breakfast, Chef Jesus did the cooking. And he did the serving. Uh, and Jesus brought them all some bread and fish. And there was nothing like his fish and chips. They'd had them before. And nobody was disappointed. Uh, can you actually imagine Jesus cooking breakfast for you? Can you imagine this? Jesus is over there at the stove cooking breakfast for you. Like, how do you like your eggs? And a uh, good grief, this is Jesus. He's asking me how I like my eggs. And it, actually, he probably already knew how you liked them, but he's just asking you just so you can be part of the process. Right? Actually, he probably knows better than you how you like them. But they enjoyed the meal together. And after they ate, yeah, this is what we really want to get to. After they ate, Peter found out why Jesus had shown up on the shore of the lake that morning. And it was bigger than the miracle of the 153 fish. It was more important than the come and dine breakfast. It all pointed to the breathtaking restoration. Verses 15 through 17. The breathtaking restoration. See, Jesus, after the meal was over, 
he says to Peter, who had denied him three times, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? And he asked him three times about his love commitment. Jesus gives the disciple who had three times denied him the opportunity to three times affirm love for him. Because he was there to release Peter from his own doubts about spiritual commitment. Jesus wanted to prove to Peter that his heart really did belong to Jesus. When Jesus has your heart, the rest of you will follow. Now before we get into this explanation, uh, I want to take just a second. And the first service told me you did this too fast and we couldn't write them down. So I'm going to go a hair slower than I did in first service. There are four types of love expressed in the New Testament in the, the Greek language, Koine Greek. Uh, four types of love. First type of love is eros, E-R-O-S, E-R-O-S, and it refers to physical intimacy, okay? Uh, the next type of love is called storge, S-T-O-R-G-E, storge, and this is the bond of empathy. This is when you feel pity or compassion for some other person or some other thing. This is a type of love. Uh, you don't actually know if you really love the person yet, but you feel for the person because of a tragedy or because of what's happened. Uh, the third type is called phileo, P-H-I-L-E-O, phileo, and it's where we get the word Philadelphia from. It's a brotherly love. Okay, it's when people genuinely like each other and they care for each other, but sometimes they hit each other with boards because that's how brothers love. Yeah, and I added the extra sentence just to help those of you who are writing, just give you a little more time. Uh, the highest form of love, though, ever given, and that can ever be given, is called agape. A-G-A-P-E. Agape is divine, unconditional love that can only be experienced and practiced through God because God is agape. God is the highest form of love. And you can never have agape for another human being or for God without God. It's impossible. And so Jesus uh, first asked Peter, and this is in your Bible, he says, uh, Peter, uh, do you love me more than these? And when he asks that, he's asking, do you love me agape love? Do you love me with divine love? Now, some people would say that Jesus was asking if Peter loved him more than uh, fish and nets and boats and all the earthly stuff. But that's probably not it because we talked about how Peter, just days before, had firmly told Jesus, Jesus, if everybody else messes up, there's no way I will. If everybody else denies you, there's no way I will. Peter had expressed that his dedication to Jesus was higher than anyone else's. That's before he went out and denied Jesus three times. And so Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these other guys do? And Peter was embarrassed because he knew that his brag had been hollow. And maybe you've done that before. You've made a brag or you said you were going to do something and it fell through. 
And so he says to Jesus back, Lord, you know that I love you. But he didn't say agape. He said phileo. So Peter says, Jesus, I'm really fond of you. You're like a brother to me. So Jesus asked him again, Simon, son of Jonas. By the way, did you notice Jesus didn't call him Peter here? Uh, Jesus didn't call him the apostolic name he had given him before. Jesus called him Simon, son of John. Because lately he'd been acting more in his natural name and not his heavenly name. So Simon, son of John, do you love me? And once again, he asks with agape love. Peter replies, Lord, you know I love you. But once again, this is phileo love. Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus is asking, do you have divine, unconditional love for me? Peter's answering, Jesus, you know I really care about you a lot. And so Jesus asks again, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? But here's what you can't see in English. This, this is so powerful. When Jesus asks him the third time, he doesn't use agape. Jesus lowers the bar from agape to phileo. And Peter says, Jesus, you know everything. You're omniscient. You're divine. I couldn't have lied to you and told you I have agape love for you because I didn't and I don't. But you know I love you and I care about you. And all of a sudden, everything clicked with Peter. It's like, you know, I may not love Jesus more than these other guys do. I'm not sure. But I really do love him, and I really do care about him. And Jesus, you of all people know that I care. And now I understand that you just asked me this three times. And you even came down to my level because I couldn't go up to yours to restore me from my denials and to redeem me from my doubts. I love what Jesus did here. Psalm 103 says this. He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. And I'm telling you, when you failed Jesus, and I know you did because we all have, he did the same thing for you. He said, your plan that you think is so good for your life, I've got a bigger one. I love you. And this third question, when Jesus says, phileo, do you phileo, do you love me? This Remove the questions from Peter's heart about his own commitment to Jesus. And here's what Jesus told him back. Listen, 15, 16, and 17, if you're looking. He said, feed my lambs. If you love me, feed my lambs. In 16, he said, feed my sheep or shepherd my sheep. And then in 17, he said, feed my sheep. And there's actually an extra little Greek word in that phrase, that says, feed my little sheep. And Peter would go on to feed three types of Christians. He would go on to feed the Jews in Judea. He would shepherd Gentiles toward God, starting with Cornelius. 
And then he would feed the dispersed believers among the Gentiles in the Roman Empire just before his death. And then Jesus gave a prophecy about Peter in verses 18 and 19. And I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Jesus said to Peter, when you were young, you got yourself ready, you walked wherever you wanted. In other words, you did just as you pleased. And uh, just a while ago, you threw on your coat and jumped in a lake. You decided to do that yourself. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands. And somebody else is going to carry you where you don't desire. See, Peter would be crucified like Jesus was. By the Roman emperor crazy man Nero. And he would ask Nero to crucify him upside down because he was unworthy to be martyred like Jesus had been. At this point in the message, like, okay, Pastor, this is a great redemption story. Thank you. Come, let's dismiss in prayer and go do Super Kid Sunday. Actually, this probably has something to do with you. Because when Jesus has your heart, the rest of you will follow. Even if you've denied him, even if you're discouraged, even if you've fallen flat on your face, even if you've messed up your marriage, even if you've failed your kids, even if you've given up on Jesus, even if you have an addiction, even if you've just headed back to the lake, even if you're ready to give up, Jesus wants to restore you into fellowship with himself. And he has bigger and better plans for you than you could ever have for yourself. Uh, Peter's big plan was, uh, yeah, I'm going to head to the lake where you caught absolutely nothing. Jesus' plan for Peter was that in just a few weeks he would preach at the Feast of Pentecost and over 3,000 souls would decide to follow Jesus in one day. Then Jesus would lead him to be persecuted and he would address the Jewish Sanhedrin with these words, neither is thou salvation in any other name. Then Jesus led him to heal a lame man and a woman named Dorcas and led him to the house of Cornelius to help a group of Gentiles give their hearts to God. Jesus even broke him out of prison. Jesus had Peter stand up at the Jerusalem council to tell the church leaders, all people have to be saved the same way, by grace, through faith. And then Peter would face down the evil dictator in Rome and be martyred for his faith, influencing thousands upon thousands to stand true to the Lord. So, maybe you've given up on Jesus. Maybe you don't even know why you're at church today. Maybe somebody asked you to come. Maybe somebody forced you to come. Maybe you remembered today that you're pretty frail. In fact, maybe you've denied Jesus. Maybe you've lost sight of his plan. And I want you to know this morning that Jesus will never give up on you. Even if you don't have agape love for him, he understands and he knows your heart. And right now he's looking down on you with love. And you can almost hear him say to your heart right now, do you love me? 
do you love me? You don't have to have otherworldly love. Just do you love me? And if you love me, follow me. And everything else will figure itself out. Don't worry about the other people. Don't worry about your past. Don't worry about the circumstances. Follow me. Because I love you so much that I laid down my life for you. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what Jesus wants to do for you. If you're here today and your life is not exactly where you want it to be, then you're probably like all the rest of us. And yet, we have a Savior who comes to us and says, I know you can't love me at my level for you, but could you love me at this level? Could you just commit this much? Yeah, I went and gave everything for you, and I love you with divine love. Could you just commit some back to me? And in red letters, we see this story where Jesus redeemed a disappointed, discouraged man and set him on a new path for his future. And it's so profound for us because we need this message for ourselves. I want you to bow with me, and I'm going to close in prayer. Maybe you're here today, and if I asked you a pointed question and had you raise your hand, you would, but I'm not going to. I just want to ask you to do this in your heart right now. If life hasn't been everything you thought it would be, if you've ever disappointed Jesus, if you're disappointed in yourself, if you're discouraged and you think, I just don't really have much use in God's kingdom. I've messed up too many times. I've denied him too many times. I've turned my back too many times. And right now in your heart, would you just say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me unconditionally. And I don't know if I can ever love you in the same way while I'm a human being, but I commit to following you and allowing you to figure out the rest. And Lord, for those who just prayed a prayer like that in their hearts, I pray that you would place upon them the power of God to live the Christian life. We can't do it on our own. We can't love our spouses like we should. We can't raise our kids like we should. We can't do our jobs like we should without you. Without you, we can do nothing. And so I pray that you'd work in a mighty special way in our midst. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.